Let's take a second more to think about Dave Collins. Um, when I visited him, he, one day he said, see that picture on the wall? And it was Lola and his wife. He said, I drew it myself. And it was really nice. And I never met her, but I heard a lot about her and a lot about him. And it just hit me as we were over there, wouldn't it be something if you lost your wife and then you suffered and then you faced death and then you finally found it was time to go home and then you got to see her again in the presence of the Lord? That would be something, wouldn't it? So there's sorrow in your heart, I know, because I know you love Dave Collins and I know he was an important part of this church for many, many years, but he has uh, seen the Lord. And so we thank the Lord for that. So let's pray again, and then we'll uh, talk about one of the most amazing stories that God ever told us. Lord, thank you for Dave and for his testimony and Lola and, and Lord, for their family and for their uh, investment and involvement and enthusiasm for this church for Bethel. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that because of your word, because of your son, our Savior, Jesus, who died on the cross, those who trust him like Dave burst into the presence of God when they pass from this life. And we're, we're so grateful for that and so thankful today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, years ago, of course, Lois and I have four boys, four girls. We lived on this little farm house, and I would come home from work. I had a, I had a, an, a, a kind of a beat-up old K car that whistled. It had a whistle. Uh, so the kids knew when I was coming home because I would pass the clearing out on the highway and they could hear my car whistling. Now here's what would happen back then. And I tell Lois this needs to happen now and she, she just hasn't gotten on the program yet. But they would just break into a run down the road when they heard me coming home. For some reason, Lois doesn't do that. But the kids did. They just broke, probably because I talk about her in church, right? Maybe if I quit that. They would just, they would get on their bikes sometimes, and they would run. And I would see these little kids just running, running to me when I got home. Man, I miss that. Imagine if you saw your dad coming, and you're like, Dad's coming. Let's get out of here. And you ran the other way. People are like that. You ever notice that? I've noticed in 40 years of pastoral work, working with people, that when bad things happen or when we, when we do some shameful thing, when we sin, we have a tendency to either run to him or run away from him. Isn't that right? I wonder which you are. Coming into a new series, and we're calling it The Jonas Story. And the reason we call it the Jonah story is, well, it's named after a book of the Bible. Did you know that? In the Old Testament, look in your table of contents now and look it up. Don't just page through all of those minor prophets. It'll take you too long. Just look it up in the table of contents. Find your way to the book of Jonah. We're going to put our nose on this story. Starts out, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, this is what happens when a prophet is going to get an oracle from God. It's, this is a common thing. The word of the Lord came to name of the prophet. But Jonah is called, we call in this series the Jonah story for a very important reason because 
the, the message about Jonah isn't from Jonah, it's about Jonah. What Jonah says in the book is really, in these four short chapters, what he says is recorded in a handful of words. It's not the oracle of Jonah, it's not the sermon of Jonah, like most of the prophets, it's the story is about Jonah. What they call this is a didactive narrative. In other words, it's a story intended to teach us something. And so we have in Jonah this incredibly sophisticated piece of literature. It's really fascinating even for little children because, I mean, who doesn't love a story about a guy who's swallowed by a big sea monster and spit up on the shore? I mean, who wouldn't be interested in a story like that about a guy who lived through something like that? And so it does have that kind of appeal, but it is one sophisticated piece of literature. It's arranged in a very beautiful way. It's the Jonah story. We're supposed to know the Jonah story, and there's a reason. So now you've, you, I gave you time to find Jonah in your Bible. I cheated. I have these little tabs. Anyway, makes you look really smart. Let's read the Jonah story, just the first 16 verses today so that we can get out of here in time to beat the Methodists to lunch. Now, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for her evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid a fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said one to another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account This evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, 
Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Are you ready for this? Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. That's the oddest missionary story you ever heard in your entire life. They're saying, will you pray? He's like, just throw me overboard. So, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against her, for her evil has come up before me. My goodness, that's hopeful when you think about it. You know about Nineveh, right? Nineveh later became the capital of Assyria. Assyria was this empire to the north and and east, which would eventually, in about 40 years, would completely destroy Israel. And then Babylon would later judge them and destroy them. But, but they were bloodthirsty, and they were, they were like a terrorist state. The people in Nineveh, God, in this book, you're going to see this little book, the story is about God. The story is about God. It's not about the fish. Okay, the fish is so that you'll know about God. It's not about the fish. The story is about God. We didn't come to church to learn about a fish, but we came to church to learn about God. If you learn about the fish, that won't be of much help to you when your world caves in on you. But if what you know, if what you know about God is good, God is good. Nineveh and the people from Nineveh were bad. They actually had ways of recording their war atrocities so they would intimidate the people that they were wanting to conquer. And I could go into detail, but then you wouldn't be able to eat lunch even if you beat the Methodists there. It's bad. And this is really hopeful. Just to let you in on something, Jonah runs in the absolute opposite direction of where he's told to go as far away as he can possibly go, to the edge of the known world. He's supposed to go overland to the east. He gets on his ship and he goes west as far as he can. And this is not because Jonah is afraid. He would have every reason to be afraid. It would be like, hey, Ken, I want you to go and cry out against the Taliban because their evil is great before me. I want you to go to ISIS and I want you to give them a good talking to. I would say, do I have another option? Could I, do, could, I, could, I, could I do anything else? And it would be because why? Because I would be afraid of having my throat slit. Jonah, it doesn't say later on in the book when you get to the end and you should read ahead. By the way, read the story out loud. Stories are better that way. You find out why Jonah doesn't go, but it's not because he's afraid. These are bad people. And this is a wonderful thing to read at the beginning of this book. If we're here to learn about God and not the fish, one of the first things we learn about God is that he is eager to forgive people who repent of their great evil. Now, that should make you pretty excited. If you have, because you know that you have broken God's law. And you know that you lying just comes natural to you. And, and you know that you covet, or you know that you um, lust, or you know that sin has been a problem for you all of your life. The best of us are sinners. And this is what we learn about God right from the beginning, is that he actually is willing 
to pour out mercy on bad people. Can I get an amen right there? Yeah, I'm glad that's true. To qualify for God's mercy, you actually have to need it, and you do. And he says, go and cry out because there's sin. The implication, you see it later, is because if they repent, I'm going to forgive them. Hallelujah. Well, anyway, so he says, he goes away from the presence of the Lord. You see this uh, part of the literature of this is that this is a major phrase that's repeated in three key places. He's fleeing the presence of the Lord. He's going away from the presence of the Lord. So when he does this, he runs directly into a storm, and the storm is arranged by the Lord in verse 4. He hurled a great wind against the sea, a mighty tempest on the sea. The ship threatened to break up. An interesting literary feature is the ship is given a voice. Later on, the cows are also given some interesting personification. But he paid the fare. He went down into it. He went to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So the Lord hurls a great wind, and there's this great storm. And then the mariners, this, the pagan sailors, were afraid. And you've got to have a bad storm to make sailors afraid. And they cried out each to his God. So they're pagans. They hurled the cargo out, doing what they could personally to lighten the ship. Now Jonah, this great prophet from the Lord, what had he done? He'd gone to sleep. So what did they say to do for him to do in verse 6? They say, why are you sleeping? The captain goes down, why are you sleeping? What do you, what do you mean, sleeper? Shouldn't you be praying right now? Can you cry out to God? That's what they were doing. So you got a missionary guy, a prophet, who doesn't have the good sense to be concerned about what's going on or to recognize the unique nature of this storm that it came from the Lord. The mariners, the experienced sailors know there's something going on here, and they're immediately realized after they've done everything humanly possible to make themselves safe that they go to cry out to their gods. And they go down now, they're exhorting him, and they're saying, shouldn't you cry out to your God? And he's sleeping. These are all like rich literary features of the story. This story is satire. Jonah is like the focus of the satire. He's not a good guy. He's never a good guy anywhere in this story. He's actually a foil for the humor. He's a foil for the satire. He, the story of Jonah is not the story of a prophet's faithfulness. The story of Jonah is to challenge the people of Israel who had about a generation left before judgment would fall, to challenge them to wake up out of their slumber, stop fleeing from the presence of the Lord, repent of their sin, follow God with all their heart. God is kind of trying to say to Israel through Jonah's story, if I would forgive your bloodthirsty, wicked, pagan enemies, I will of course forgive you, but now you're, they, during the reign of Jeroboam II, they had material prosperity. This was the time of Jonah the prophet and Amos and Hosea, and, 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 and they had material prosperity. On the outside, things looked good. But if you read the other prophets, they had strayed far from God, a lot like some country you know. We have a lot, but we're far from God. And so God says, here's the Jonah story for you. This is what I want you to understand. It's laughably foolish for you to be asleep when you're in such spiritual peril. When will you wake up and cry out desperately to God? Even the pagans know enough 
to cry out to God? When are you going to be desperate and run to God and cry out to God? That's what, that's what the story is saying. It goes on in verse 7 and says, And they said one to another, Come, let's cast lots so that we know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Can you imagine Jonah standing there watching that? Like, oh, I'm in trouble. Yeah. They said to him, tell us. On, is they, so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Now they look at him. This is interesting. It's, they ask him five questions. It's basically like, who are you? Where did you come from? What's your story? What are you all about? Why is this happening to us because of you? Tell me about you. They're actually trying to milk a testimony out of this missionary. He doesn't pray. They pray. And he's not willing to really overtly talk about his God. Isn't that what missionaries are supposed to do? He's, he's, he's doing no good. He ain't feeding the hungry. He's not helping anybody. They didn't even help him throw stuff overboard. And so they're challenging him. Tell us on whose account the evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Now here's what he says. He kind of says, okay, I will roll out my statement of faith. And then he kind of blandly tells his statement of faith, which he hasn't been living by, right? He says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven. Like, oh, really? Not much. He tells you, go here, you go there. When you get in trouble, you don't have the sense to cry out to God. When they tell you to pray, you don't pray. You're like, kill me. I'd rather die than pray to God. So he says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. The God, you know, the God, the one who made everything. (laughs) The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing the presence of the Lord because he told them. Essentially, they're saying to him, who are you and who is your God? I think I told you a story about the time when my son was going to take some money out of the bank and the teller had a little rule that she couldn't break and wouldn't give him any of his money. So I was impatient, and I went in, and I wasn't very nice to the teller. I was kind of short, and I'm probably making myself look good in this story. I'm like, I was kind of rude. So I was like, come on, you can give the kid $15 out of his account. This is ridiculous. I kind of was kind of rude. And, and I, I remember when I got done uh, being rude to that girl, that I, uh, which is so unlike me. I'm a very nice guy. Um, I, I walked out, and Chuck was with me, standing right beside me. And as we went through the door, he goes, good job. And that just crushed me like, I thought, ugh. For, about, for, for the rest of the day, that kind of followed me like, you shouldn't have done that. It was a Wednesday, and I had this Wednesday night prayer meeting, and, and I was getting ready for a Wednesday night prayer meeting, and I was praying, and, and I felt like the Lord told me, you need to go back and make that right. So I went to the coffee cup, this little joint in our town, I bought gift certificates, and I went back to the bank. <laughs> when I walked in the bank, the girl was at the counter, and she walked back away from the counter. And I'm like, hey, I'm sorry, I was here earlier, and, or I was here yesterday, and I wasn't polite. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm, and I was, while I was praying in my study, I thought, should I tell her I'm coming back to ask forgiveness because I'm a Christian? Or should I just leave God out of it so he doesn't get a bad name on my behalf? And I felt like the Lord said, you just tell her you're a Christian. So I go back in and I said, I wanted you to know that yesterday when I, when I came in here and I was kind of rude to you that, I'm a Christian, and I shouldn't have done that. And I feel like God told me to come back and give you a little bit of a gift and tell you I'm sorry for being rude. She turns to the other girl, and she says, see, I told you he'd be back. 
she says, we read your article in the paper every week. And we knew you would come back. Man, I'm glad I went back. This is what they're trying to do with Jonah. Jonah, tell me you're a missionary. Tell me you pray or something. Do something godly. Anything. Help us here. We're going to die. And, and, and as the story goes, he's not just a reluctant missionary. He is a serious loser at this point. It's not a good missionary. And, and yet, seriously, it says this. They said, what shall we do that the sea may quiet? And the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said, pick me up, hurl me in the sea. <laughs> and the sea will quiet. At which point it would have been, maybe, well, hold on here a minute. While I cry out to God and repent of my sin and tell him I'll do what he said, and maybe he'll calm the sea. But he, he's confused or something. For some reason that we don't know in the story, he doesn't do that. So then they do everything they can. They're, 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 they're very humanitarian. <laughs> they're very kind pagans. They're good pagans. But then finally, they say, they say to God, in, this is in verse 14, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood. They're using the Yahweh name. They're using the God of the creator God, the one true God, Jonah's God. They're using his name. <laughs> and, and they're saying, sorry that we have to do this. <laughs> And so they pick Jonah, and they hurl him in the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And verse 16 is just incredible. And they, and they feared the Lord, Yahweh, right, and exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. What an amazing conversion. This is a cliffhanger, by the way. You're probably wondering, what happened to Jonah? You will not know until next week. <laughs> anyway, let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not done. I'm not even close. <laughs> so just think about this story for a while. It's the kind of story that God, you know, arranged for us so that it would, put, would make us laugh, kind of like Saturday Night Live, only not dirty, right? You know, it would make us laugh and then kind of go, gotcha. This is like the guys are going to him and going, can I ask you a question? Are you running from the God of the universe? Like, are you crazy right now? Let's talk about this whole thing of fleeing the presence of the Lord just a little bit. In true pastoral form, I want to I teach you three things about fleeing from the presence of the Lord that you might find helpful soon. Number one, it's natural for all of us to flee from the presence of the Lord because of our sinfulness. All of us, have a sense of our sinfulness, the law of God written on our hearts. And before our consciences are defiled, we know that our lies break God's heart, alienate us from God. They really are like turning our back on God and running away. It's, it's really kind of natural for us to run from God. you got that in you. And even after you come to know the Lord, there's still that tendency when the Lord says, you know, here's what I want you to do. It's an interesting thing it says here, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Have you ever had the word of the Lord come to you? Kind of want to be careful here. If you have a Bible in your lap, the word of the Lord has come to you. I heard a guy at camp uh, early last spring. Uh, I was speaking at a, a men's thing, and he said, here at our camp, we don't teach the kids to ask the question, what is God's will for my life? We teach the kids to ask the question, what is God's will? Right, so the Bible reveals the will of God. So if you have a Bible in your hand or if you have a Bible app on your phone, then the word of the Lord has come to you. 
He has revealed his will, right? In, in many ways, specifically, we know exactly what God wants. And the word of the Lord has come to us. And when we do it, it's like we're running into his arms. It's like we're seeing daddy come home and we can't wait to get to him. But when we, we say no, or we feel like we have a better idea, it's like we're turning and going the other way. We're speaking at um, a couple, a year, year and a half ago, we were speaking up north. We finished up a, a conference. We were coming home. We were driving Lois's car. Lois's Garmin was there on the window, but I was driving. And she says, how far is it home? And I go, just a minute. I will punch in home on the Garmin. And she says, that won't work. And I said, why? And she says, because home on my Garmin is Kentucky. Now, I could have argued with her. I could have said, well, we've been living together for a long time for your home to be Kentucky. But I understood what she meant. That little girl over there has a place in her heart for her Kentucky. Her default setting, her home default setting is Kentucky. What's your home default setting? This is what God is saying. I want me to be your home default setting, man. I want you, I want you put me in your garment. And every time that you sin against me, hit the home button, man. Every time you feel shame rise up in you over some unconscionably bad thing that you've done you hit the home button and run to me you don't run away from me when you're guilty you run to me when you're guilty i'm eager to give you my mercy that's what he's saying and when things are hard and god calls you to do something hard he says here's the home button right i took a walk with little hazard our dog the other day he, he, he can tell when i'm going for a walk and he, he didn't use words but he has ways of communicating with me like if you go on a walk without me you are you are a low life, you know. It's kind of like what he's saying, looking at me. And so I took him with me, and I'm going along with the, the neighbor that owns all the property around me has given me permission to hike on the property. It's like she wants me to die. It's, it's hunting season, I think. But so she, she'd be a nice, and I thought, well, I waited till midday. I figured the bow hunters are done, or they're, not, or they're getting ready to go. It was about 1 o'clock. I'm a day off. Hazard goes with me. I go back and back and back. I'm two miles, two and a half miles back in the woods, back in this really remote part of the woods. And, and I decide that Hazard is probably good without a leash. He, so I let him off, and he keeps coming back to me. And I'm kind of, I'm a boy with a dog again. And he keeps running around and coming back to me. And then I got distracted, and then he didn't come back. And I thought, oh, am I going to be in trouble with Hope when she gets home and I lost her dog? I called for him. He didn't come. About 45 minutes, probably an hour, I called Lois. I said, man, you, you know, um, I, I lost Hazard. I think, uh, and we are a long way from the house. And there are people out here that are eager to shoot anything that moves. It's not good, you know. And uh, she goes, oh, no. She says, something bad happens to Hazard. Hope his heart's going to be broken. I start hiking back to the house. I hike and I hike quite a long ways, making my way through the woods and along the part of the field and across. And now I'm getting within maybe a three-quarters of a mile of the house, and I hear this, this voice I'm used to hearing, this little bark. Hazard has gone home. He's on the porch barking, so somebody will let him in. Nobody's home, but he's on the porch going, let me in to my house. Crazy little animal knew his way home. But sometimes we don't know that God is the home of our heart. To run from him is to run from mercy. To run from him is to, is to run from forgiveness. To run for him is, that's foolish. Okay, so three things about fleeing the presence of the Lord. One, it's natural that we would do that because of our sin, but it's because of our sin. Number two, it's impossible 
Psalm 139, where, how can I flee from the presence of the Lord? If I take the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, you're going to be there. Read that, Psalm 139. That's your assignment this afternoon. You can't flee from the presence of the Lord. It's impossible to do that. It's natural, but it's impossible because of his power, because of his might. Let me tell you this. I was thinking about this week. It was like, Years ago, when the Lord tells you to do something, it might seem weird. The Lord told us that he wanted us to go to Flint. I remember one time I was meeting with a guy in our church, and this guy happened to be a millionaire. And we were having breakfast. I'm like, where are you going this week? And he goes, I'm going to St. Thomas. This is like somewhere where rich people go. And I, he goes, where are you going? And I go, I'm going to Flint. Because <laughs> the pastor's meeting was in Flint. And then I joked around about Flint. I said, man, who'd want to live in Flint? And I kind of said some you know, unlovely things about Flint. That wasn't fair. God heard that. He's like, hey guys, let's send him to Flint. Let's have him live there. God actually sent Lois and I to live in a hotel in downtown Flint. It actually was a great experience. But at the time I thought, how are we going to live in a hotel? And why, and why Flint, God? You know, it's like he, he it, but, it, but and, and it took me a while to figure out, you really telling me to do this? It was a huge hotel. There was all this, uh, uh, administrative kind of thing that I didn't feel like I was really good at. And, but God clearly led us to go and run that big 500-room hotel. And we were there for five years doing that. And our family li- lived there on the sixth floor. We had a big chunk of the sixth floor. We lived there. It was like a big battleship, kind of like a big kind of a battleship, kind of a Christian sort of battleship. God really did send us there, and it was good. But at, the, at first, I thought, sometimes God is going to ask you to do something that just seems so weird to you. I felt like I was getting sucked under the water. Like, how am I going to do this, God? But he sent us. It was so clear that he did. The word of the Lord came to me. Sometimes he will unusually give you an extra biblical nudge about something. And you want to listen to that. And you want to test that. But then you want to obey that. And you want to go. And and some of the richest things that happen in our lives happen as a result of obeying him in that. And that end up being good. We, Lois and I, yesterday we were talking about we named our little place Bittersweet Farm because the circumstances of our coming here were kind of bitter at first. And we were talking about Bittersweet, and I went out walking, and I found Bittersweet everywhere. It's everywhere. I said to Lois, man, I, that Bittersweet is everywhere. She said to me, we were driving along, it was a beautiful, glorious autumn afternoon, and Lois and I were going out for a little trip to the orchard to get some cider, and she said, I don't know if we should even call it Bittersweet anymore because it's just been sweet, sweet. Now, that's the way it works, right? When you follow God in a place where you think, where are we going and what are we doing? And God, why are you letting this happen to me? I don't know. Sounds, it's it's going to be bitter at first, but when you see his face, it's going to be sweet, sweet. It's the way it's going to be. We follow him. We, we don't flee from the presence of the Lord, even though because the, because the inclination to flee from the presence of the Lord is because of our sin. And we don't flee from the presence of the Lord because it's impossible to flee from the presence of the Lord because he's that powerful and omniscient and omnipotent. And we don't flee from the presence of the Lord because he's good. Why would you run away from somebody that good? I was thinking about, Lois wanted to start her, her photography business years ago. And there was a lens that she wanted that was like more expensive than my car. My car was cheap, but it was, it was a, like a $1,000 lens. And she was talking about Boy, it'd be nice if we had the money for this lens. And I thought, well, that'd be nice too. If we, you know, and so um, I was at a conference. And while I was at a conference, I felt like the Lord told me something. 
I felt like he told me to take care of, I had, um, I, I, uh, when we were running the, this big hotel, we had the freedom to, uh, you know, buy things that the hotel needed, and we did all that, and they fed us there, and so we ate there, and that was part of our, part of our uh, uh, remuneration. And we also had, you know, a little expense account, so if we went out and did things, we could do that. And so I got to thinking about that. I was at this conference, and I felt in my heart like maybe I had overcharged that expense account. And, and so I thought, you know, it just bothered my conscience a little, like maybe I had bought too many personal meals on the expense account. And though there wasn't a rule about that, it, it just kind of bothered me. So I just told the Lord, well, I'll give $1,000 to, the, to the, the, the organization I'm with, just to, not as a gift, but just to make sure my conscience is clear about that. So uh, I called Lois on the phone. It was a men's conference, and I called her on the phone, and I said, hey, I felt like the Lord told me that we should give $1,000 to the, because of that. And she said, wow, like we don't have it. And I go, well, I'll just... Let's just pray that the next $1,000 we get, that's what we'll do with it. Or if not, we can just take like $100 a week out of our check or something for 10 weeks. But she said, okay, let's do it. And I said, all right. So the next day, a guy walks up to me. His name's Sam. And he shakes my hand, but he's got something in his hand. And a little folded piece of paper. And uh, it's a check. Of course, you know it was $1,000, right? So I opened it up, and this guy, Sam, said, it's just, you know, you've been a blessing. Your ministry's been a blessing to me, and I want you to have this gift. So I call Lois on the phone, and I say, yeah, I can believe this, but this guy walked up to me, and he gave me $1,000. Lois goes, oh, let's get the lens. <laughs> and so we're like, well, do you think we should, or, we get like, or do you think maybe we should just go ahead and give that money, and then, you know, the next, you know, and so, yeah, so we agree. Let's just... So I go to the controller, I go to the finance guy, and I tell him the story, and I say, I'm going to give you a $1,000 gift. It's not, it's not, it's just a gift, but, it, but it's really uh, because I just want my conscience to be clear. And he says, no, you know, that's a part of your remuneration. You don't have to do that. You, you keep this. And I said, no, I, I don't feel right about that. We're just going to give it. So we gave that $1,000 to him, and then I remember thinking, that was good. You know, the Lord prompted my heart to do it. I did it. The Lord provided for it. It was pretty cool. The next day, I did it. I go back down to my office, and I sit down, and I think, that's awesome. You know, that's good. Then I open my laptop to get a pen, and I notice there were two envelopes in my drawer. And they had been, they delivered the mail, the, the inner office mail. They put these envelopes in my drawer. I, I pulled them out. I looked, and one was a check for $500. The other was a check for $500. And they had paid me for speaking in the organization. I didn't expect to be paid. I got $1,000. So I call Lois on the phone. I say, hey, Lois, what are you doing for lunch? She says, well, I'm, you know, she always goes if I buy her lunch. She says, I said, let's go shopping. Let's look at that lens. Lois says what she said 100 times before. She says, I hate shopping when I don't have money. <laughs> and I said to her, well, let's just look anyway. Come on, let's just go. And we went down there, and she bought that lens, and that started her, her photography business. That's, I was going over that story with her yesterday while we were driving along, praying and thanking God for how kind and how good he'd been to us. And she said, that was a really good lens, too. Why don't we run from God? Because he'd be crazy to run from God. Because he's so good. Because he's so loving. Because he's so kind. Because he's so merciful. Because if you run from God, 
You're going to run into a storm. If you run from God, you're going to run away from his blessing. If you say no to God and what he says to you, you'll never know what it is that he was planning for you. You would never want to say no to God. <laughs> Years ago, we were having dinner, and, um, and we were uh, uh, with some friends, and, uh, and the girls, the older girls, decided that they're going to go, I think, over to Walmart and shop because we were just talking forever. And the girls said, we're going to go shopping. So the three older girls go off with these friends, and, and they, walk, they walk out of the restaurant where we're sitting, and they, they walked over to their car, and we were preoccupied with um, the people that we were talking to and didn't realize that our little tiny baby girl, Hope, had watched the older girls go, and she wanted to go with them. So she went over there, and she forced her way out that door. Right about the time I thought, I'm going to stop her, and, I, and I'm, because I don't want her to get hit by a car. And I thought to myself, I'll give her a little bit of money so she can buy some Starburst jelly beans, because they're amazing. Because I always talk about food in my sermons, and I don't want to disappoint you. Well, that I'll give her five bucks, she'll buy some Starburst jelly beans, but when she saw me coming, you know what she did, right? You try to get in between a girl and her shopping, that's one dangerous place to be, right? She's not going to come. That, she just started running out across the parking lot. And sure enough, you knew it was going to happen. Halfway across the parking lot, she stumbled and went down, skinned up her knee. I went and scooped her up. I tried to tell her. What I noticed about her is when I held her, the whole time she was squirming against me, <laughs> trying to get free. And I was like, Hope, I want you to be happy. I want you to shop with your sisters. I just wanted you to be safe, and I wanted to give you some money so you could buy some Starburst jelly beans. So I have an assignment for you this week. Go buy some Starburst jelly beans. Please don't bring them to me. <laughs> We've already established that would be a bad idea. And then when you look at those Starburst jelly beans, you just think, what kind of idiot would I be to run away from God? Is it a deal? Bow your heads, would you? Close your eyes. Heard a report from the men up at Camp Barakel. One of our men up at Camp Barakel for a, a men's retreat. One of the guys wrote me and said, Tom Harmon gave an invitation last night. Five men. He was preaching on Daniel. Tom Harmon was preaching on Daniel. He gave an invitation last night. Five men decided to trust Christ. The first guy, Tom says, what's your name? The guy says, Daniel, it made me kind of wonder if there's anybody in the house today that needs to trust in Christ, needs to believe in him. With your head's bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you today would say, I know that I know that I'm born again. I'm a follower of Jesus. I know him. I love him. I know if I die, I go to heaven. Raise your hand up real high. That's great. Put it back down. Now I'm looking at you and I'm going to ask you another question. I'm going to look in the balcony too. Who's here that would say, you know, I'm really not sure that I know the Lord. I want you to pray for me. Raise your hand up. Raise your hand up. Let's pray together. Stand with me while we pray. And we're going to be dismissed as I pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, today for this beautiful autumn Lord's Day. Thank you that uh, Dave Collins went to be with you right at this time. And to, be, to see your face and be reunited with loved ones and friends that have gone before him. Thank you for Jerry and Don, Extreme Response, and Walt and Sarah, and the ministry there to people in the world with, with great needs. And thank you that we can be involved in a small way with that. 
Thank you that you're a good and merciful God, that you're eager to pour out blessing upon us, that you're good, and that when you give us uh, direction, even if it seems hard or weird or different, that we should, we should actually break into a run, trusting you that it's going to be good. Bless the people who've gathered here in your name, I pray. Help them that their home default setting would be you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. God bless you. You're dismissed.